Hi, and welcome to LeechFest, a medical history podcast where we learn where our exits are and hopefully make sure that we support proper construction techniques, because today we're talking about building collapses and crushes. Maybe not something you think about in a medical setting too much, but buildings fall down, and when buildings fall down, people die and they get hurt, and that's when the medical field sort of steps into play, uh, and that's what we're talking about today. It's also where we say yeah boy uh, to start off every every single segment. So um, with that said, yeah boy, um, how have you been? Where did this come from? I wasn't really aware that this is what we're doing today. I, but I, no idea, no idea where the yeah boy is coming from. Mm-hmm. I've been watching a lot of Dropout. Dropout. That show with, with Game Changer, Sam Reich. Oh right, right, yeah. right. One yeah. of the games, they, one of them has to say yeah boy. For a long time. This is that's, a meme from like 2009 or some from. shit. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, before we dig into uh, this very interesting subject, how have you been? The personal segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have been okay. I've been mostly working a lot. So I think last time we recorded, which was kind of a while ago, mm. I had just started my, my thesis. Mm. So I've been working on that. It's a lot of work. <laughs> I honestly, I, I don't really have a lot of time for other stuff, uh, but it's really, really interesting, even though I have unfortunately run into some issues, um, but it's all good. Some, some issues? <laughs> well, some issues with myself, like I told you. Um, yeah, your organoids are not behaving. Yeah, my organoids are not organizing, so I'm, I have to fix that, but... Do you know what? Even if it doesn't work out, I'm having a great time and I'm learning a lot. And that's what matters. Um, <laughs> the, re- the real organoids were the friends we made along the yeah, way. Yeah. And I mean, you know, in the end I'm learning. So, so yeah. I'm, I'm actually really happy with it, even if I don't, you know, achieve everything that I wanted to achieve. But yeah, that's been happening. I've been trying to grow mushrooms <laughs> at home. We have, yeah. Um, and it's also been... A bit challenging because turns out mushrooms grow real fucking easy outside on the ground but then when you try to grow them in the house for some reason like no, they want no no that one i think so <laughs> mushrooms outside be like um what's that meme uh i will grow under yeah. any conditions mushrooms inside i'm allergic to tap water so the story is i got a bunch of spores of the internet, and they came in these plastic syringes. Legal, legitimate Le- business, by yeah, the way. Yeah, We're saying edible. this is sort of like, like, oh, magic mushrooms. Yeah, like, yeah, this yeah. is no, no like no. food mushrooms, like yeah. that you get from a store. Yes. So I got like um, oyster mushrooms and like chicken of the woods and just you know like edible mushrooms. And I got them from an online store. They came in these plastic syringes. Very cool. Very professional. And the idea was that you're gonna you you had to like make a substrate for them to grow on. So I. I like I I went all out. I ordered from like four different stores. I got like wood chips, coconut chips, um, hemp. Mm-hmm. Like uh, you're spoiling nuts. these. these yeah, stores. I was like, these mushrooms are gonna grow so good. I got them like a fertilizer, like specifically from mushrooms. From mushrooms, I like I got a bucket full of that stuff, and so you know I prepared like a nice little like mat for them with every like I sprinkled everything they needed injected the the mushroom spores been watering them every day been spraying them with a little spray bottle and like two three weeks pass I'm like hmm smells kind of funky (laughs) 
I'm not seeing any oyster mushrooms and it smells kind of weird. <sighs> mold. I've been growing mold this whole entire time. Um, so anyway, I decided and like, do you know what the worst thing was? Is that I, I've been, I like, I used up a, a whole syringe of spores. That was my pink oyster mushrooms. So then I started, I mean, this is a whole, this is a whole story, but now I'm, because I used up the whole like pink oyster mushrooms, now I decided to like proliferate the spores before I actually use them up again. So now I'm proliferating the spores in jars uh, that I'm feeding with like honey and like I sterilize the jars, all that stuff. So like I'm seeing how that works out. Um, so it's a whole thing. So basically at work I grow organoids and then I come home and I grow mushrooms. That's my life now. <laughs> and I hope I don't get mold the second time around. How have you been? I've been good. Yeah. I've been, what have I been doing? My glasses broke. Mm -hmm. And then I fixed them. Yeah, but you did... Eventful few weeks. But you did go around, like, blind as a bat for, like, a, a week. week. Yeah, because I, I, don't, I don't have a backup pair. No. I'm shopping for backup pairs now. Yeah. But, like, I don't have one because I really like these green frames that I have. Yeah. They're uh, your signature green my, frames. And they I really wear them do, like, all my really videos, nice. they bring, too. They bring out your eyes very nicely. Yeah, but, like, just the fact that I use them in videos a lot, like, if I changed my glasses, I feel like people would be like, oh, this... Yeah. who's that who's that that's not it's not the same yeah the vibe changes on the on the frame of the glasses and they don't make these ones anymore they make the frame but not the color so i could be, have like orange but like what the fuck is orange i mean you're allowed to change things about yourself no not a, not on the internet not no. on youtube the people crave new content by the exact same person forever mm -hmm. until you die mm. but that's been happening mm -hmm. so you know, not not much else. I've been working a lot. This, no, this, we're this both, thing. we've been yeah. We're we're on that girl boss grind set, gaslight girl boss. Like we are working hard. Mm -hmm. I can't wait until we're hardly working. No, we're working hard. <laughs> we're recording this on a weekend. Yeah, but we always do. Yeah, but like we, sometimes I just wish that like the, the the state of the world didn't necessitate constant labor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, anyway, I, that's why I'm a socialist. I mean, I can't speak because I played Minecraft for six hours yesterday, so I'm good. <laughs> All right, let's... Uh, oh, let's... speaking of Minecraft, you know a thing buildings can't do in Minecraft? <laughs> collapse. They can't collapse, but we're in the real world. Oh, no, so... but they can. If the... the what's, what's, what's the green thing called? The one who the explodes creepers. or shit? Yeah. Yeah, but they don't collapse. The blocks disappear and That's explode, but the building collapse. stays up. That is true. But let's talk about nature's creepers. Earthquakes. <laughs> let's do that. But before we do, we also want to thank our patrons for supporting the podcast. It's thanks to you that we get to keep this podcast going. Um, also reinvest in better equipment sometimes. We just got a new microphone. So hopefully you will now hear us both better. But you're not just supporting us, you are also supporting yourself because patrons can get access to new episodes early along with an extended video version where you can see our lovely faces say funny jokes and you can see my hilarious editing skills. Um, patrons also get a chance for a shout out in the episodes uh, just like this one. In this episode, we want to thank Christopher Barden. Christopher. <laughs> You Christopher. Have, Christopher. Christopher, Christopher, Christopher. <laughs> You've been a patron of ours for a very long time, and we are so grateful. 
And this is why you're getting a double shout out for your continuous support. Thank you, Christopher Barden. Thank you. With all that, let's dive into the episode. So why are building collapses bad for your health? There are some obvious answers. So let's start there and then let's go into like the less obvious. When most people imagine a building collapsing for whatever reason, the way it impacts individuals is usually pretty similar in most cases. Um, the ceilings fall in, the walls fall apart, as the structure can no longer support its own weight, and the building material is trying to find a new static equilibrium. Uh, this process is often very violent, and concrete is harder than human beings is, which means that oftentimes the, the human body and flesh takes a back seat to the building trying to find like a new resting position. This can lead to blunt force trauma and crushing due to the massive weight of the building pressing down on you. So when people die instantly due to building collapse, as in from blunt force trauma, this is called direct damage. And it's not something that is written about a ton in medical literature because it happens so quickly to the point where like med doctors can't really do anything. Like first responders aren't even on the location yet. And therefore, it is. We're not going to talk about it that much, but it, it it is the most leading cause of death in building collapses for whatever reason. The building collapses is usually it's earthquakes, but that is the most common reason people die. And so, because of that, we're going to focus more on the people who survive the initial collapse and then have health issues as a result of that. So, if you survive a collapse, obviously you're probably going to have cuts and uh, bruising. But these effects are relatively mild. Cuts and bruising is something that like most EMTs can deal with. And it's not something that usually will lead to long-term harm effects. So that happens. But those are typically categorized as like minor injuries. But one thing that is very like dramatic in a building collapse, and that's something that has been written about, and it's also the second leading cause of death, is something called crush syndrome. It can be found in people who have been in car accidents, electrical accidents, chemical accidents sometimes due to some like chemical interactions with the body. And even though that's not necessarily crushing the body, it, it's going to become apparent like why that, that's a thing. But it is most common seen in patients who have survived an initial collapse and are now being trapped by some debris. The symptoms of this are interesting, but also dangerous in like some weird ways that I didn't really find very obvious. Like I was very surprised over like the way this is dangerous. Um, so during crush syndrome, odds are that a part of your body is being crushed by some heavy rubble, which both causes directed damage to the cells, because concrete crushing your body will cause damage, of course, but it also restricts blood flow, specifically venous outflow, which is where blood from your body has a hard time returning to the heart. This has a few consequences. Obviously, the body part itself doesn't feel super great if it doesn't get like fresh blood with fresh oxygen. And this can actually lead to shock due to low blood volume because your body, your heart specifically, like it needs a certain amount of, uh, a certain amount of blood to pump. And if it doesn't do that, it starts becoming arrhythmic. And th the worse that gets, you're going to develop a heart attack and you're going to die just because there's not enough blood for you to move around the body. But blood can also begin to break down muscle cells in the affected area. And this is something that happens just like 15 minutes after being crushed. So this is really dangerous from a health aspect because when the blood becomes stagnant like that in a part of the body for a period longer than like 15 minutes, like I said, you need to be really careful about how that blood gets reintroduced mm -hmm. to the rest of your body. 
because muscle, muscle tissue can break down into potassium and phosphorus during blood pooling events like this, which means that when the thing causing the blockage is suddenly removed, all of those chemicals can be suddenly released into the bloodstream at once, which can cause acute kidney failure, or it can also, it can also just cause heart attacks itself. This has led crushing syndrome to be nicknamed the smiling death, because it commonly happens with people who have survived a disaster, they're being rescued by people who aren't like trained medical personnel, like people, you know, normal people who sort of like they dig through the rubble and they find someone, they dig them out. Uh, the person is really happy, they're smiling, they're, they've been rescued from like a disastrous event, and then they die from having a heart attack due from like the, the from all of the chemicals interacting with the heart or from all of those chemicals, like immediately shutting down the kidneys. So you said that this is common after 15 minutes of being crushed. That's really not a long time. Just 15 minutes. It, like, because as long as it restricts the blood flow, uh, it's it, just after 15 minutes, like all your muscles are already breaking down into these chemicals. So after, if someone's been trapped, trapped for more than 15 minutes, that's when medical personnel sort of has to like take into account how to get you out of that situation. The longer you're trapped, the worse it gets, obviously. But just after 15 minutes, like anything before 15 minutes, it's fine. You can just like remove, remove the thing and you're good. Uh, your body's going to be fine. But after that, that's sort of the, the cutoff point. Where... I've never heard about that. Me it neither, must right? Be, it must, I mean, because I guess I can, I'm, I'm just imagining, you know, like seeing somebody trapped under a bunch of rubble. Obviously, the first, in like they're yeah. in pain, they're screaming for help. Yeah. Like you, you want to help them. Yeah. And first instinct is to help them, get, right? Get, get them out. Get them out. Yeah. But I guess you have to be like, how long have you been here? Yeah. <laughs> Damn, if I was trapped under a bunch of rubble and somebody asked me that, I would be real mad. Yeah, but this but is, you have yeah, to, right? You have to. Because, like, sometimes people can be... Because sometimes people can be... Like, they, like rubble can shift around. So you, maybe you've been fine for the entire, like, rubble thing. And then someone moved something somewhere and the building moved again. Like, yeah. you've been trapped, like, in an enclosed space. And now suddenly you're trapped. But then you're being rescued. So you can, you can be like, no, I've been... I just got my leg trapped. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are ways that they can test that. They can like like look at the part that's being trapped, and they can they can they, they mean can medical professionals exactly. Yeah. So they can they can sort of verify that like your leg, for example, is it's not like experiencing crush syndrome yet, um, because people will sometimes lie, right? They'll be like, "No, my leg is fine. I ju- mm-hmm. I just got it trapped because mm-hmm. of the shifting moved around because they want to get out as quick as possible, but they they gotta check." Mm-hmm. And they kind of got to leave them in there sometimes, sometimes for a really long time. The longer they've been trapped, the longer they need to stay to sort of like slowly reintroduce that blood. There are some, there are some treatments uh, to mitigate this, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to get to that like in a, in a little bit. <laughs> because even if you survive this, even if you are, even if you survive this like uh, kidney failure shutdown, because like you can, someone can remove it, you can have a the sudden influx and you can survive, right? That doesn't mean you die all the time. It's it has a high lethality rate, but it's not it doesn't always kill you. But even if you survive, a lot of survivors of like earthquake disasters and building collapses and stuff like that, they have to deal with um kid, like kidney failures later in life because these chemicals they start to break down like your kidneys a little bit. Uh, they it can lead to something called acute tubular necrosis, mm-hmm. uh, which is a breakdown of the cell wall in the tubes that go into the kidneys. And as always on this show, if it, if it got necrosis in the name of it, that's bad. <clears throat> There's no condition with necrosis in it. That's good. <laughs> that's good, yeah. <laughs> Just, oh, yeah, I got necrosis. 
And this this has a sort of like inverse relationship. This has a relationship along the lines of like the longer you've been trapped, the the more likely you are to suffer kidney failure later in life. And it does actually lead to like reduced life expectancy, even if you survive, even if you like survive a, a collapse from kidney failure. That's mm-hmm. not what something you'd think is would be like the thing that kills you in a in a building collapse. Yeah, there's there's a lot of things about building collapses where. Even if you survive the initial collapse, you get out of there. There's so many things that you might have been exposed to that yeah. you don't even know. Yeah. Um, and that, <clears throat> like, you might be facing the consequences of way later in life. Yeah. Um, so just because you get rescued <laughs> doesn't mean they're gonna be okay, doesn't mean they're gonna be okay, which is like the scary part. Yeah. So there are a few ways to mitigate crush syndrome. The first way is to relieve the pressure, like very, very slowly like for several, several hours. So just very, very slowly letting the blood sort of like start to circulate mm-hmm. again. And just for the body to sort of like not go into shock over the over it. It's still gonna damage the kidneys like in the long term, but you know, you gotta get out of there eventually. You can't they can't just leave you there forever. And you don't get like acute toxicity immediately. Exactly. Like your body can sort of like start to process it mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. you can start passing it. Um victims of crush syndrome can also be given fluid treatment before that pressure is released which includes sodium bicarbonate it's it's you drink a lot of it you drink mm-hmm. a lot of so it's like sodium bicarbonate because it makes your urine more base basic and it cancels out a lot of the acidity caused by muscle breakdown um, and that that helps mitigate like a lot of the damages to your kidneys like in, in the long term but that's not the only danger with collapsing buildings there are also gas and aspiration issues so Researching this episode, I kind of expected there to be a lot more sort of like exposure to gas, but apparently that's not like nearly as common as I as I think it is because the, the, a lot of modern day gas systems apparently have systems in way where they when, when they sort of discover like a sudden leak, they shut down. So oftentimes, like there might be a small gas leak for a few seconds, and then the problem is going to be gone. Same with electricity, right? Like when electricity that that's when like you pop a fuse, <laughs> just like oh something's weird, boom. And the, the safety system sort of kick in and then electricity doesn't go anymore. Also, emergency personnel, the first thing they will do is like, sh- they'll shut down power and gas veins into whatever area that is affected. So like, you're, you're going to be fine. Those things are actually like not super dangerous, apparently, like in the long term. Mm-hmm. Uh, might kill you as the building is collapsing, though. <laughs> so, but if you like survive before, the initial... You know, like before the EMTs get there or the fire firefighters or whatever personnel can switch off the gas yeah um do you remember when we were suspecting that i might get that i might have uh carbon monoxide poisoning? yes (laughs) i used to live in a little house um it it was a really small like tiny house basically Mm -hmm. and so what happened for a while i started getting these like insane nightmares like they were super lucid vivid Mm -hmm. horrible nightmares i would sometimes like wake up at night and just feel like there was somebody in bed next to me. Like I had these horrors. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a common thing, like the, someone being in the bed being with you. Being in bed yeah. with me. Like I was, I would wake up terrified. Um, and I had no idea. Like this had never happened to me. I had no idea what was happening. Like for a while, I was like, "Shit! Like, do I have a ghost in my house? Mm-hmm. Am I like getting psychosis? Like, what is happening?" And then you 
looked into it and you found that this is actually a symptom of carbon monoxide poisoning. Yeah. Like not to the point where, because I mean, obviously it can kill you. So if it's like too much, yeah. but like it's a symptom of like mild carbon monoxide mm-hmm. poisoning. It's common in houses where you have like a small leak and then it like leaks through the house and like out of the house. Right. But, but um, I guess not all systems have that like safety mechanism in place yeah so not not typically for like very small buildings or like <clears throat> like small private gas main i'm talking more like on a municipality mm-hmm, level mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. those big systems if you have, if you got a system like in your house or like in a suburban area those are typically a bit different but those mm-hmm. have other systems that sort of like i mean i think matter. a carbon monoxide sensor is a really good thing to have like, yeah i mean i don't even think they're that expensive and like they can we should make an episode on carbon monoxide person Carbon monoxide poisoning? Or, or gas poisoning, because like gas, gas stoves is yeah, becoming like a carbon. big thing. And yeah, yeah, there was a lot of discourse about yeah. gas stoves also. Because yeah. Republicans, for some reason, are like, you can take my gas stove from my cold, what dead a, hands. What a weird hill to die on. I, I, know, I right? saw that on Twitter. I was like... Who cares? Okay, they okay. found that they're a bit dangerous. Keep, like, why? Keep your gas stoves, then. Yeah. Don't switch Get it brain out. damage. Is like, somebody, is somebody like, coming into your house to take your gas stove? Like... Okay. The communists are coming to take my gas stove. God. Okay. Anyway, breathing issues is like a really big thing when it comes to building collapses and earthquakes specifically. And it's 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 almost like spookily dangerous in a way that you wouldn't actually expect. So obviously buildings contain a lot of materials, and I think you're gonna dig into a bit more detail into some of these materials later. I you know like a little bit about asbestos. My favorite, my favorite construction material. I'm going to talk a little bit about the dust that is created by uh, concrete, PVC, uh, glass, and sand, which are all present in a lot of modern-day buildings that are being built. And when buildings collapse, the resulting movement can result in a lot of these things like being pulverized and ground up into a really, really fine, breathable dust. Breathing in dust can cause something called respiratory insufficiency, which is defined by your blood cells not being able to pick up enough oxygen from your lungs to properly oxygenate your body. Because dust can oftentimes get stuck in your alveoli, which are the tiny little things like mm-hmm. inside your lungs, if you remember from high school biology, I do... Little sacs. There's a tiny little sacs that, that dust can get into. Dust gets stuck in there for a significant bit of time after a disaster, which means that patients can still suffer from impaired breathing for months after being rescued from a building collapse. This often leads to survivors suffering from insufficient oxygen to the brain, leading to hypoxia, which is not great for the brain. In extreme cases, this can lead to death in itself, just from like lack of enough oxygen to the brain. You're suffocating under dust that's inside of you. But most commonly, survivors manage to survive, but brain damage is not an uncommon result. Hypoxia is really dangerous, though, because it can make you act in really irrational ways, and might play a role in why some survivors make really bad choices in an emergency situation, such as running into a fire in order to get their phone or something. This happens sometimes, like when people haven't necessarily been crushed, but they've been exposed to like a lot of dust and fires and stuff. And being hypoxic is dangerous because you don't realize that you are that you have impaired decision-making abilities. You are you're really stupid, but you don't know that you're stupid. And that's that's like the dangerous part. Pilots often have to train in order to spot this because it's a risk factor in flying planes. And there are a bunch of videos online of pilots being put in these special chambers that lower air pressure, like makes it so that the oxygen doesn't go 
into the blood as much it causes hypoxia. And the pilots are being told to like take off their oxygen masks and then being told to like put them back on again when they start feeling hypoxic and no one can do it. Like no one can tell when they're being hypoxic. And they you can see that these people become they, they become completely irrational. They start making decisions that like they can do. Like what kind of decisions? So in the training scenario, it's usually just about like them trying to put a mask on, mm-hmm. but they just fail. Sometimes they just like take off their clothes. <laughs> It's like, oh, I feel weirdly hot. I'm going to get naked in this like training scenario with my coworkers. Um, but in planes, for example, it can lead to pilots. Like they, they, they turn off uh, like the autopilot and they start like going up because they see a number go up and they're like, oh, that, that's what we want. Or they forget to, they, or they forget like really basic elements of like their training. Mm. Like sometimes they'll start like talking into the radio without turning the radio on. Which is like a really like automatic step for pilots to do. Like they, they just like beep, do that, and then they turn it off or like something. Or like they'll actively just turn off the radio and then talk into it. Things like that. Or they'll turn into like the ocean because they see light reflecting from the ocean. And normally you would be able to see that that's the ocean, but because they have impaired vision or impaired thinking, they're not thinking that that's not the horizon. So they just become really illogical. Mm-hmm. Um, but dangerously, it doesn't impair like your physical abilities. <laughs> like you will still be able to like walk around and do stuff because your muscles can still do things. You're just really stupid about the choices that you're starting to make. Um, and this can happen in survivors of of crushing too. It doesn't happen super often, but it it, it is an element that that does happen. Um, dust can also cause chronic obstructive pulmonary disease which is literally just you gasping for air because the airways are obstructed with dust acting as blockage. So like your lungs just clogged up. This is also one of the reasons why firefighters carry oxygen tanks because one way to mitigate the damage is to supply survivors with direct oxygen and survivors will oftentimes have to have a long hospital stay with supplied oxygen until much of the dust is cleaned out. And for those of you listening, I'm doing quotation marks and cleaned out because you can't really clean out the dust from your lungs. And this is actually like a big, big issue. Uh, anyone who has seen a smoker's lung in high school knows that like once, once particulates get into the lungs, they stay there. You can get rid of like a lot of the clogging stuff. And I saw some, some, some study that sort of like had, this wasn't like a thing that they studied in the study, but they like a sort of shorthand basically saying that like 90% of particulates you can get out, 10% stays forever, which is enough to cause a lot of issues in the long term. One reason uh, why those 90% can be cleaned out is because the lungs have a lot of mucus inside of them, specifically designed to like catch a lot of these particulates, um, but they can't, they can't take all of it. But dust also causes other effects in the long term because of this dust accumulation. After an earthquake in Abruzzo, Italy in 2009, for example, hospitals would see a dramatic uptick in pneumonia in people living close to the impacted area. So earthquakes don't have craters per se, but this is a term that the study used to sort of like designate the area that is affected by the shockwaves, but also like a, like a, like a radius around that shockwave area, which is a different way to measure like an earthquake impacted area. And they measured this area based on like the amount of particulates released in the air. And like when you're several kilometers away from an earthquake, you don't notice like the air being significantly different. But this study basically concluded that people who lived like in the crater area got much higher cases of pneumonia. And the most common subtype here was always respiratory insufficiency. Like 
your oxygen, your, your lungs become less effective. Over decades though, the rates of disease become closer to baseline, but even today there's still a significant difference. Because, like mentioned previously, once dust is in there, it's not really coming out. First responders are at special dangers of this, because they often move stuff around, releasing a lot of dust, work close to fires, and remain on site for a long time. If you're trapped, the dust often settles around you, which can actually be a bit of a benefit. And if you're rescued, you're taking away from you're taken away from the site. Because of this, rescue personnel always have to wear masks, and they often also take ipratropium or salbutamol, which are medications that help open up the airways so that they get enough oxygen to avoid hypoxia. So the last of the more direct causes that I want to talk about is fire, before you start talking about more the indirect causes. When buildings collapse, a lot of things can be set on fire. Not good, fire bad. <laughs> Candles, hot stoves, live electric wires, gas pipes can all cause fires, which just makes all the other issues even worse. It causes more collapses, more direct damage, less oxygen, and more dust. So, like, the, the discussion of, like, burns is something we could talk about here a little bit, but then that becomes a sort of, like, a, a, a separate issue from that point. The, the, the way it interacts with, like, building collapses, from most of the literature, literature that I've read, seems to just be that it just causes... It just it makes everything else worse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you, you've talked about the direct, like effects or direct like health consequences but like we mentioned there's a lot of things that can happen that you don't really think about and then you know a few years down the line you might start having issues because of it and the first like category of that is carcinogenic materials with asbestos and lead being the the top contenders (laughs) um as you might know Asbestos is a great thermal and electrical insulator, and it's also very cheap. So it's been used widely throughout the 20th century as a building material. And it was only in the 70s that people started to like realize that it has a lot of negative health consequences um, and stopped using it. But obviously, we still have buildings that are just full of full of asbestos. Chock full of asbestos. The <laughs> world was big fans of asbestos for a long time. And there's still a lot of countries, or not a lot, but there's a few countries that still use it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to mention that a bit later. Mm. It's cheap. It works. It's cheap and it works. There's a... Uh, in one of the like early tapings of The Christmas Carol, like, you know, that like children's book thing about like, I am the ghost of Christmas past. Uh, they made a movie about that in like 1930, something, 1940. And all the snow that they use, ground up asbestos. Stop. So there's just like mounds and mounds oh. and people playing in the snow, just throwing asbestos oh, in the air, bad. having a great time that's in bad. the asbestos. Because it, it can become like a, a nice white powder that works really well for movie sets, mm-hmm. for snow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just wanted to sprinkle that in as like a horrific thing. Um, so asbestos is usually contained within glue or cement. But when a building explodes or collapses, what you end up having is a bunch of rubble. Um, and it's very hazardous rubble because it has like the asbestos in it. But unfortunately, it doesn't just stay in the rubble. So like I said, it's a thermal insulator, so it doesn't really burn on its own. But when you burn materials that contain asbestos, it becomes released into the air mm. like a very fine, as a very fine um powder, Mm. um, which gets into people's airways and of course leads to all sorts of 
respiratory illnesses like scarring of the lungs, um, as well as a variety of cancers, mm-hmm. a wide array of cancers. So many cancers. So many cancers. Um, one cancer that is very like specific to asbestos poisoning or asbestos like exposure is called uh, mesothelioma. I was about to say. Yeah, which is a, a cancer of the mesothelium, which is like the thin tissue that covers our internal organs. <sighs> Oh, that's not good. Um, and then cancers of the lung, larynx, and ovary are also mm. very common. It's a bit strange with the ovary, like you'd expect the the lung and the larynx, but I don't really know why ovary ovaries in there too. Doesn't it like get caught up in the bloodstream because there's like it's a very very fine fiber? Yeah, but, but then I mean, it, it sort could... of gets carried around and gets stuck in certain parts of the body. Sure, but then it, I mean it would be like other organs being affected. Like why ovaries in particular? I don't know. Hates women. Hates women. (laughs) Asbestos. Misogynistic. Um, We're canceling asbestos on the stream for being sexist. Mm -hmm. So following 9-11, for example, more than a thousand tons of asbestos were released into the air, which has led to high rates of cancer-related deaths from both emergency workers as well as survivors. And this is actually also happening in Ukraine, with the mass destruction of buildings releasing asbestos fibers into the environment. And this is made so much worse by the fact that Ukraine was both a major producer and also consumer of asbestos during the Soviet Union. And they used it widely in construction, even though, like, policymakers, like, were becoming increasingly aware that asbestos has these, like, health risks. Yeah. Um, but because, you know, Ukraine had this, like, connection with Russia, who, by the way, continues to produce and export asbestos, it was very difficult for them to stop using it. Mm. So it's, it's hard to have a it's hard to have a different construction policy than when Russia is forcing asbestos. Yeah, you. when you're part of the Soviet Union. Um, and even now, Russia continues to produce asbestos and export it, and is like defending the asbestos market and continues against like, the woke libs. Yeah, and continues to like discredit any evidence that asbestos is actually like dangerous for health. Really? Yeah. Um, oh come on, Putin! Come on. Yeah, and actually, it was. First, first, um, the first time that Ukraine tried to ban asbestos was in 2017, mm-hmm. and it fell apart because like asbestos stakeholders like lobbied yeah. against it, and like a bunch of them was were obviously like backed by Russia. Mm-hmm. The asbestos and, oligarchs. Yeah, like yeah. for real. Um, and so it fell yeah. apart, and it was only in 2021, if I remember correctly, that they actually successfully banned asbestos, um, and they fought like tooth and nail for it. Yeah. And now Russia is blowing up Ukraine's asbestos like infested buildings. Yeah. So that's great. Great. Although during the rebuilding, no asbestos. No asbestos. That's it's not a good thing. It's not, I know, it's I, not a good I thing. See. I'm trying to sort of like put any sort of positive twist on this. I mean, it's there, just sort there of is like no positive twist. No, it's, just, it's sort of like if you if you blew up a bunch of buildings that had lead paint being like, well, at least there won't be lead paint there yeah. anymore. Just like I'm ever the optimist. I'm trying to find like the, the some sort of positive aspect in anything, but there's nothing here, obviously. Yeah. What's it? What's the president's name? Zelensky. Zelensky. Yeah. Is this one? Is this one of the first things he did as president? Being like asbestos gone, because he had a big thing about like taking all like the you know big corp like big interests and big oligarch oligarchic interests. I guess the asbestos oligarchs were like first in line. Do you know? I don't know. I feel like. I, I was reading about this, and there, I found so much literature about 
um, like Ukraine's fight against asbestos mm-hmm. and like the use of asbestos in construction. And it's such like a obscure topic. <laughs> I have no the Ukrainian specified. Yeah. I have no idea what like Z- what Zelensky's relationship with asbestos was. Um, so don't ask me. But apparently I'm, now they're you know it's a it's a whole thing. I'm gonna use my 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 social media credentials and my political credentials to try to get an interview with Zelensky and not ask him about any of the war. Just being like, so what's your policy on asbestos? Honestly, he might appreciate the change of pace. Probably. So anyway, we got asbestos, but we also got lead, um, which is another example of a toxic material used in construction. And we often hear about lead and paint, Mm -hmm. but lead is actually used for a bunch of other stuff. It's used as a cable and wire casing. It's used in soldiering for priming of structural steel, which I'm going to talk about later, and also as a component of stained glass. People get exposed to it if they work with it routinely, like construction workers, but lead can also be released into the air as a, as a result of like building collapses or explosions or fire. Mm. Um, speaking of stained glass, <laughs> what type of building has a lot of stained glass. Cathedrals. <laughs> Cathedrals. And churches. And, stuff. and churches. Um, so in 2019, the fire that broke out in the Notre Dame Cathedral no. brought down two-thirds of its roof and the huge wooden spire on top, which also brought down um, you know, stone and stained glass building and stained glass windows and the ceiling. And the spire in the roof contained about 450 tons of lead. <laughs> Okay, why, why, why though? I have, I don't know. <laughs> that, but I don't, it's not, it's not funny. It's not funny. Um, we can make fun because... of the French. No one died. <laughs> no, no, no one, no one died. They but... can, I can make fun of them for like being like, ah, ah yes, let us put a big wooden spire on top of this cathedral. Okay, what should we pull built... it in? Mm, just put it just full of lead. Just have the heaviest <laughs> shit in the world. But it was built in like the 15th century. Come on. Um, so yeah, so the medieval. Okay, it's listen. Still, it's still like, uh, why? Okay, but like <laughs> the people. Heavy. Okay, listen. Sure, but the lead oh, oui, melted. Oui. The lead melted. Oh no! Like it's not funny. Like nobody died, but the lead melted and it formed. Do you remember like those pictures that would circulate where Paris was just yellow? Like it had this yellow tinge. Uh huh. It was because of the lead melting. Oh no! Yeah, like the smoke was all just lead smoke oh um, that's not good at all and it you know the smoke settled over paris and it brought the lead levels for to up to f- 500 to 800 times the official safe level um so shit's bad yeah because lead is very soluble in body fluids so once it enters your system it's gonna get stored yeah. in organs body tissues like the brain liver the kidneys and the bones and so it's like yeah you know you get you get lead poisoning. Yeah. I would like to apologize to the nation of France. In adults, lead poisoning can lead to a whole range of issues like nerve disorders, reproductive issues, cardiovascular disease, kidney failure, and lots of cancers, like especially lung, stomach, and bladder cancer. Um, and kids are also very sensitive to it. With kids, mm. you know, it can lead to like development disorders, like lower IQ. Increased well, aggression, right? Yeah. yeah, increased aggression, like behavioral problems. Yeah. So it's it's really it's really dangerous. So yeah, and they're still investigating the long term effects of the fire, like like concerning the people who lived very close mm. to the cathedral. 
Um, I wonder, like, I wonder if we have like a medievalist or something listening to this episode who can just send me an email explaining why they have 450 tons of lead in the spire up top. Because, like, yeah, why was it made of lead? That that just seems like a bad construction technique, even for when they built it. Yeah, because then you have like a like a very heavy thing just on top. Yeah, that's typically not how you want to. Maybe it was very tall, so they wanted to make sure it doesn't like it's not going to fall over. Maybe. Maybe it's like a structural thing. Maybe it's just, structural. To me, it's just like 450 tons of lead. Yeah. Like, bruh. I mean, a lot of it was, I think a lot of it was also part of the roof. So it wasn't just mm. a spire. I don't really know like what the lead distribution was in the building. Mm. Um, because lead is also used in roofing, like in roof oh, tiles. Oh, like the tiles. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. Okay. But definitely the spire had a lot of it too. Yeah. Um, okay, so moving past the carcinogenics, just a few words on like psychological effects. I mean, this is pretty obvious, but it's a it's a very traumatic event. Like you know, either being a survivor of a building collapsing or seeing your loved ones, you know, either die or go through it. Like this is very very traumatic. And people who yeah. do survive, whether as a result of natural disasters or terrorism or poor architecture, report long lasting psychological effects following the collapse um, and it's also actually common for first responders to suffer from similar psychological effects and even for people who like watch it happening mm. like on tv a lot of people who saw 9-11 happening reported like feelings of anxiety and and um like symptoms of ptsd so it's a deeply traumatic event for mm. everyone involved Now that we've gone over the health effects of collapses, we want to talk about what may cause buildings to collapse. One obvious cause is earthquakes, and I figured it would be useful to start out by going over what causes earthquakes, <laughs> because I'm... Welcome, the, welcome to the Medical History Podcast. Where we talk We're talking about, seismology. Yeah, exactly. No, but I, I kind of like wanted to give a little intro to earthquakes, like... Yeah. I don't know. I'm the type of person who needs to know a little bit of everything about a topic. Like I can't just dive into something without having like a nice base. Um, so anyway, we're talking earthquakes. So put simply, earthquakes are caused by the movements of tectonic plates making up the Earth's outermost layer. As you might know, these plates move very slowly relative to each other from zero to a few centimeters per year. But because of friction, the movement is often impeded. So instead of smoothly moving along each other, they become deformed. So the edges don't move, but the rest of the plates move. So, so there's a lot of stress that builds up. Mm. And eventually the buildup of stress exceeds the friction and a sudden slip occurs, which releases the accumulated energy in the form of an earthquake. Now, there are a lot of theories about why tectonic plates move, the types of faults that exist, and so on, but I'm tr actively trying to make my segments a bit shorter <laughs> so that this doesn't become like another three-hour episode about seismology. So we're moving on. I'm yeah. forcing myself to move on. Most earthquakes are not dangerous and can even go by unnoticed. Um, there's even something called micro-earthquakes, which occur almost continuously with an average global frequency of several million a year. Others cause major damage to buildings and other structures and can change the ground topography permanently. And obviously those are the ones that actually like 
like matter, like disasters, matter yeah. to yeah. us and are worth talking about. But how do earthquakes actually cause the collapse of buildings and other structures? Well, there's a few ways that this can happen. So firstly, obviously the ground shakes and this can cause houses to shake. Like it's pretty, pretty obvious, <laughs> pretty, uh, pretty obvious connection mm-hmm. between building, those two things. Buildings on the ground, the ground shakes. Ipso ergo, building also shakes because mm-hmm. it's on the ground. Do you understand this, slave boy? <laughs> um, following the fall to rupture, seismic waves are transmitted through the ground in all directions, and then buildings vibrate as a consequence of the ground shaking, and damage happens if the building cannot withstand the vibration. So obviously, it's re- like the damage is related to the magnitude of the earthquake. Mm-hmm. Damage can also occur from surface faulting, which is when the movement of a fault deep below the surface actually breaks through the surface. And you may have seen pictures of like just huge cracks in the ground. I think those are fucking terrifying because they're deep as hell. Mm-hmm. Like imagine falling into one of those. That's... Don't like that. And obviously the area affected by surface faulting is smaller than the area affected by ground shaking. But because it's so deep and like you know, the ground literally breaks. Like, if there's any structures on, like, on the fault, then they're just gonna, like, fall to pieces. Another thing that earthquakes can cause is something called soil liquefaction, which means that the soil temporarily acts like a liquid. And this usually occurs with soil that is loosely packed and has a high moisture content. And basically what happens is when the ground shakes, the soil particles start settling and filling out the air voids within the soil mass, so it becomes more packed. And then any water that is present in the voids in the soil become pressurized because they have nowhere to go um, but up. Um, so the water travels upwards and temporarily causes the uppermost soil layer to behave like a fluid, which can cause major soil displacement. So basically large portions or chunks of either liquefied soil or solid soil that is carried by liquefied soil can travel to up to like tens of miles at very high velocities, which basically like carries buildings with it, carries structures. Mm. And then when it eventually stops, like it can settle over buildings Mm. or structures. So like mud floods. Yeah. Like mud floods. So this can be really dangerous Um, and they can cause buildings getting buried or collapsing. It was a case in Norway not too long ago, actually, where like a whole village like a whole ass village, just like mm. yeah, because like the, the 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 layer, the layer of soil that the buildings were stood stood on was kind of solid and was kind of good. Then the layer underneath that was very liquefied, and then the layer underneath that was hard again. So it sort mm-hmm. of like surfed on. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like it, you surf on a wave. On a on a wave of of, of soil, of liquid soil, basically. It's fucked up, actually. It's, go to sleep in Stockholm, wake up in Uppsala. <laughs> Moving past earthquakes, something else that can lead to buildings collapsing is explosions. For example, as a result of terrorism. And here I'm going to explain how explosions work, which is also very um, exciting to me because I... Because you're a scientist. Because I'm a scientist and I kind of, I'm interested in explosions. Do not... (laughs) Normal thing to say. (laughs) I just think they're neat. I'm just just telling the police if they're listening to this, like we strictly in an academic sense... I just think they're neat. I just think that they're neat. So explosions are a release of energy. And explosives are substances which undergo oxidation and produce large quantities of gas. So let's take TNT. 
as an example, because it's a very common explosive. Most people have heard of TNT. Um, so TNT is made up of free nitrogen dioxide groups bound to toluene, which is a large carbon ring. But the nitrogen dioxide groups are quite large, and they're in close proximity to each other, so the molecule is under conformational strain, so it takes a lot of energy to keep the molecule together. Which also means that the molecule is chemically unstable. And when TNT is detonated, it forms free covalent gases, CO, CO2, and N2, which are all very stable. And this transition from the unstable to stable molecules releases a lot of energy in the form of an explosion. It's like a little, like a little reward for helping the molecule out. Because um, it's just a very quick chemical reaction. Yeah, it's a quick yeah. chemical reaction, but it's more about like the, the potential energy stored that then mm -hmm. becomes energy released. The energy release in the form of boom. Also, fun fact about explosives. There, there's three types. There's low explosives, where the burning follows a path instead of blowing up all at once. So gunpowder. Like, you know how um, in cartoons they do like a little... A little um, like a trail of gunpowder? A trail of gunpowder, mm -hmm. and then they like light it up on mm -hmm. one end and the fire just kind of follows along. Mm -hmm. So that's a low that's a low explosive. And then there's also secondary high explosives like TNT, which need to be detonated with an electrical spark, intense heat or sharp blow. And then primary high explosives, which are super sensitive to heat, shock or friction. And this includes nitroglycerine and mercury fulminate, which is what Walter White uses when he blows up Tuco's office. Like when he like... S mm -hmm. smashes it in the floor and then the whole thing blows up. In any case, when something explodes, there is a sudden release of energy in the form of heat, light, and rapidly expanding gas. And the gas expansion travels in the form of a highly compressed shock wave that travels at supersonic speed. Um, and not only that, but also reflecting many times off any surface in its path. And in an enclosed space, this means that the wave amplifies as, as, it, as it reflects off surfaces. Mm -hmm. There's also another effect that is very, like, explosive and dangerous. It's called brissons, which can cause shattering of steel, masonry, and concrete. Now... That's why, like, most explosives in mining. Because they, that's yeah. why they drill a very, like, tiny little hole, mm -hmm. put the explosive in, they plug the hole, mm -hmm. and then, then it got nowhere to go. So it, it, it's, the only way it goes into the rock mm -hmm. and blows it up. Mm -hmm. Um, so explosives in the context of building collapses. I want to talk about building architecture mm -hmm. a little bit. So buildings can be built in several ways. One way in which buildings used to be built, and they're still built like that sometimes, but it's a really a bad way to build. So I think most people kind of transition into different mm -hmm. Like ways, and I like I'm not an engineer. I think this is more of a topic for engineering disasters. Uh, what's that podcast? Well, there's a problem. I was well, there's say, a yeah. problem. Yeah. yeah, this is send very much to, that. Send this to them. Send this to them. Alice, help us. <laughs> but basically, this like bad way to build a building is by raising the walls brick by brick, so that the upper floors and the roof are supported by the compressive strength of the bricks. So because they're so compressed, like they're very like tight and nothing really like sways them mm -hmm. so there's the compressive force applied to the outside walls and then there's also inner walls um you know like when you have rooms and those also sort of offer support to the mm. upper floors this is a bad system of it's buildings. a bad system mm -hmm. you can already tell that this is 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not a good system. I actually have a whole segment later on where it should talk the concept of bricks. <laughs> so like, I'm glad we're starting now. We're I'm I'm uh, like putting down the foundation yeah. for that segment. P- putting down the foundation. There you go. When a blast wave hits the walls of a compressive structure, the walls are blown outwards and support for the upper floors is removed because the upper floors are dependent on the lower floors and the building either partially or entirely collapses. And this is made especially worse when the building doesn't have any rooms inside, which is really common with like shopping centers, for Mm. example, because people want to have like a big open space. So there's no rooms. It's just a big open space and four walls (laughs) that are meant to support whole thing yeah a newer better way to build buildings is by including steel or concrete skeletons and these buildings that include it are better equipped because the skeleton has a smaller surface area to blast and plus the building load is distributed against multiple members um, which are distributed above below and on the sides but of course this comes with caveats the skeleton has to be connected with adequate joints otherwise they just fall apart like a house of cards. A second caveat is the fire created in the event of an explosion. As you might know, steel is sensitive to high temperatures and that causes it to lose its strength mm. um, at 400 degrees Celsius, to be specific, causing the beams to bend and the joints to weaken. So in the 9-11 attack, the North and the South Towers both suffered extensive damage following the impact of the plane, which weakened the steel beams at first. So they were... Uh, damaged by the impact and then the the jet fuel burning damaged them further and that caused the whole structure to collapse mm. q uh, jet fuel can't melt steel beams yeah i said something like in the research phase of this video too where i said like but like um in a, in a controlled laboratory condition jet fuel doesn't burn at that high temperature but if you ram a plane into it and you'd light a whole building on fire at the same time the steel beams will melt Cue the comments uh, of us being aligned with the CIA. <laughs> would it be the first time, actually? For you, for me, it would be yeah. the first time. So lastly, what can happen in the case of an explosion? And this is, a, like, to me, this is, this might be the scariest of all, like, all three, um, is if an explosion happens on one of the top floors. And this is a bit counterintuitive, Right, because if it happens on the lower floor, the whole building collapses. Like that's bad. Mm-hmm. But if it happens on the top floor, it may break the floor slab, which falls down, and the falling of the top slab will break the the, the floor slab mm-hmm. on the floor right underneath, and then like all the floors just fall down one into each other, mm-hmm. like detaching with, with all more, the floors, yeah. detaching all the floors, and also crushing everybody who is on each floor. Isn't that also what happened during 9-11? Like, not I'm from not the sure. very top, but, like, I rem- like that's one of the... Because, like, once once that happens, like, each successive sort of floor slab pushing it to the other one has more power behind it, right? So yeah, it just, like, yeah, it goes faster and faster and faster. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't and know that, if that's that can what, take yeah. down a whole. That, I mean, that takes down whole buildings. Maybe yeah. it's not. Maybe that didn't happen in the towers, but I do remember seeing. I've, I've seen disaster footage of that happening, and it's it's scary as shit. Mm-hmm. Um, because it also speeds up. Because mm-hmm. like usually mm-hmm. like it's, it slabs and then it weakens and then it slabs and then it just. <laughs> it, it looks un, really unnatural, mm-hmm. but yeah. Yeah, it's really scary. I mean. They're all scary, because if you're in a building that collapses, either way, 
you're gonna be terrified. Yeah. But somehow the thought of the last one just doesn't sit right with me no. at all. So I want to talk about corruption a little bit. Um, obviously, these are sort of like very mechanical reasons as to why buildings fall down. And we can prepare against a lot of those situations. But sometimes we don't. And one of the reasons why sometimes we don't is because the people who build the buildings are corrupt pieces of shit who want to save money and don't want to spend the money and time to build these skeletons or... Uh, make sure that their buildings are up to code. So this is my love letter to building inspectors. <laughs> so obviously a lot of things can cause a building to collapse, but there are some things that make the dangers of building collapse much worse. As we're making this episode, the world is still reeling from the earthquake in northern Syria and eastern Turkey. That's so far killed over 55,000 people. I, th I think the count is like still kind of going up as, as they're doing estimates. Obviously, help after this disaster is ongoing, so we don't have all of the facts, but one trend that has been developing in early reporting is the idea that many homes were sold as, as earthquake safe when they in fact weren't. And I'm going to talk mostly about Turkey here, because that's mm -hmm. where most of the reporting has come. This is also the, the case in northern Syria, but it's for different reasons, and this episode is already going a bit long. So Turkey has had a massive construction boom in the last couple of years that's built up a significant part of the Turkish economy. And as a result of this, the enforcement of construction code has been lax because a lot of local government officials, they want to incentivize more construction. A few reasons why this code has been lax is because of corruption. Local governments often gave out huge construction contracts to friends and family of public officials who promised to not inspect buildings and letting contractors and politicians pocket the difference in the money saved by using inferior construction techniques or inferior material. One very controversial measure happened during the 2018 election where the government started a program where companies who were under investigation for inferior construction or who were found to be lacking could pay a fine in order to let the building be certified as safe anyway, as a sort of construction amnesty. This fine, or like this, this, this amnesty program, was not big enough to offset the money that contractors could save by being corrupt in the first place. So by many, this was seen as an institutional bribe that might have incentivized construction companies to build worse buildings. Like, you could build a really good building and not have to pay the fine, or you could build a really shitty building for, for cheap, pay the fine, and that would just make you more money. It seems, however, that local politicians could avoid using the system, however, as some towns and villages refused this amnesty program and kept the buildings up to code and kept up building inspections. And now, after the earthquake, those towns and villages have managed significantly better than many others. All of this also happened with Turkey deregulating the construction industry more and more, which oftentimes meant that laboratories meant to investigate structural integrity often got less funding, fewer inspectors, and less regulatory oversight power. Laboratories? Yeah. <laughs> laboratories do that because they can take, uh, they can they can walk around in buildings with like sensors to detect um. dust particulates in the air. And the, if you have more dust particulates like in like the basement of a building, something's causing that dust buildup. Uh -huh, and then you can okay. sort of like, you can, you can detect cracks in the building or like like structural integrity failures way before you actually start seeing cracks in the building itself so what field would this be would this be engineering 
I think like so. some, the, some, some know, field the of person like investigating like yeah. faults and cracks and dust particles. Like what kind of education would you need to have for that? I'm just I think I'm just kind of curious. I, I think structural engineers do it, sure, but okay. it's, it, like I think most structural engineers get into the get into the field because they want to build buildings, mm-hmm. and then a few a few of them get into the the field to make sure that buildings are actually built correctly. Mm-hmm. But this this job is like super fucking important, right? Because like mm-hmm. if you don't do it properly, buildings can collapse mm-hmm. and cause many many deaths. Researchers in Turkey have actually estimated that roughly half of all buildings in all of Turkey are dangerously unsafe and not up to code. That's an incredibly high amount. Like in t- like m- almost every country has has a percentage of buildings that are not up to code. America is like kind of high in a lot of like their infrastructure because yeah, they, they build their houses from cardboard. Yeah. I was in the United um, States for hurricane God, which one was Anyway, it was like in 2000 maybe 13 or something mm. girl the house was shaking and it wasn't even like a strong hurricane it was like a like a pretty intense storm mm-hmm. the walls were shaking like those houses are not like made for for stability or for like longevity yeah. at all it's crazy yeah for sure and like it's a, it's a similar thing that's happening here in turkey right but like mm-hmm. it's it's just so much cheaper to build and you can do it quicker too, right? So like even if it's sometimes not cheaper, it's just quicker to build it, which means you can build more yeah. stuff and yeah, make exactly. more money. Exactly. Um, they build those houses in like six months. Oh, that's that that actually seems kinda of long for me sometimes. Really? For an American house? I feel like American houses like they set them up in like three months. Really? Okay. But like it should take longer, is what I'm saying. Yeah, there's, damn, there's a building remember, here in the neighborhood that's been in construction for like two years. I know. I remember when I was growing back in my day. <laughs> It would take like 10 years for a building to be like built. Mm-hmm. For, like for real. I remember, well, okay. okay. I guess Eastern a Europe decade. is also, I guess Eastern Europe is also like on the lower <laughs> end of the spectrum. Um, but I straight up remember growing up and there being a house or like kind of like a building complex being mm-hmm. built like right behind my house. I grew up watching that building be built, be built like yeah. from age, you know, four, like to age 12 i want to say but like yeah and like even when i lived here like like in i lived in another town like in Uppsala, it's called um i moved into a neighborhood most of the neighborhood were like being renovated like they, they tore down like old industrial buildings and putting up apartment buildings they were building those buildings when i moved in three four years later they're still building the same building yeah. so it just it just takes a lot of time to make sure that everything is like built properly yeah. structurally up to code everything is done properly and even then you know they fucking renovate it for like another year after the building is yeah. up so look but that's how it should be like yeah. it doesn't it shouldn't take three months to build a house like it should mm. take time uh but you can make more money if you <laughs> if you do it shittily and if you don't have to uh, i actually saw a video online of a person of a construction worker um who was sort of like before the earthquake was still like kind of like what the fuck are we building this way yeah um having these uh they're, they're i think they're called something like concrete foam bricks uh, and they're meant they're meant to be this type of uh, like structural skeleton th- that you can sort of build up to sort of set the walls of a building and then you fill that up with some other mm-hmm. building material it's like, like a temporary concrete. like a placeholder yeah kind of uh and it's supposed to be and it, it's supposed to be a placeholder you're not supposed to build things using this in theory and they're using that as the primary building material yeah um also like adding f- adding f- additional floors to buildings that 
are not built to have that. Mm-hmm. Adding balconies mm-hmm. to buildings that yeah, aren't like supposed to have a, it. Like, that's a disaster waiting to happen. All of those things like reduce the structural integrity, especially if, like, like you mentioned, if you have the brick system where the outside walls are the thing that's maintaining structural integrity. If you add another floor to that, suddenly that's like way more weight on the bottom bricks. If you add uh, balconies and stuff, that shifts the weight mm-hmm. or it reduces structural integrity for the walls above. Like mm-hmm. it, it's... You can't do that stuff. <laughs> That's stiff. You can't do this stuff. But anyway, he was using these bricks, right? So not only are these bricks not meant to be built like that, he was taking them up in his hand and just like crumbling them. Because they're just like, and they were just becoming dust in his hand. Like nothing. This all goes to show that just keeping buildings up to code can do so much to reduce the risk of building collapse or even just give residents the time they need to safely evacuate the building. Because sometimes... Like, if an earthquake is happening and you're in a building, you, sh- you should get out. Yeah. Sometimes you should. Like, the Not building always. should at least stay upright for enough mm-hmm. time for you to get out of there. Yeah, like, and that seems to be one of the reasons why this earthquake caused a lot of deaths. Yeah. Because a lot of people didn't even have time to get out of their homes. Yeah. Um, but, like, a building needs to be structurally main- like the- structurally solid enough to be able to at least, like, survive a little bit for people to get out and get to safety. And then it can collapse. Like, no one can expect a building to survive forever or under any circumstances. But it should, you should do better, at least. Yeah. All right. Mm. So, Quick rant on corruption. <laughs> I'll, I'll actually build on that in a bit. Mm. But first, I wanted to talk about seismic forecasting, because that's another, like, important part of this. Mm. Um, you know, being able to tell when an earthquake is coming. So this is a very active area of research. Um, in seismology, the earthquake prediction and earthquake forecasting. And there's a difference between those two terms. So forecasting is the probability of an earthquake occurring in a certain area over a specific period of time. Forecasting is based on historical records, geological fieldwork, and local and global seismic monitoring. So long-term forecasting is usually pretty accurate because you know that like, well, there's a high probability of this happening in this area or an earthquake happening in this area because it's like located on um, fault lines and we know that historically like an, like earthquakes have been happening here a lot. Like you, you just know that there's a high probability mm-hmm. um, of something happening there. So long-term forecasts, meaning like years to decades are pretty reliable, but short-term forecasting like months to days are pretty unreliable because like you know, there's a high risk, but you don't know when the earthquake is actually going to come. So this is because there isn't a good, like, diagnostic marker of an earthquake happening soon. You just know, you just know that an earthquake is, like, brewing mm. in this area. There have been... It's brewing. It's brewing. I, isn't that like they say that about California all the time? There's always something brewing because of the San Andreas Fault. It's coming. It's coming. So there have been thousands of proposed predictors, some dating from antiquity, um, including like from all sorts of different like scientific fields, including changes in the upper atmosphere of the earth to zoological changes. And you might have heard, you know, people say that animals can predict when an earthquake is coming. And there Mm. have been reports of animals changing their behavior prior to an earthquake, like Wild animals like rats, weasels, snakes, and centipedes leaving their homes and traveling away from a place where an earthquake eventually happens. Pets acting weird, mm. dogs barking, things like that. Like pets escaping in higher and higher uh, frequencies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
But there's limited evidence that any of these precursors are, are actually reliable. Many of them lack statistical significance, mm. um, you know, being contradictory, lacking a measure of amplitude. So they can't really be used reliably. But there's this neat new thing called artificial intelligence um, <laughs> that we've mentioned many times. So artificial intelligence might be a good direction to take earthquake prediction to, which is quite exciting because seismologists have been pessimistic about our ability to predict earthquakes for quite a long time. Mm. So if this becomes, if artificial intelligence starts allowing us to predict them more accurately, this can be a really good thing, can save a lot of lives. Because mm. I guess they can they can analyze factors so much faster than, than, yeah, just, than a human scientist exactly, can. Exactly, just like pattern recognition. Yeah. I don't. I haven't looked very deeply into how these models work, but I guess it's like, yeah, it's it's pattern recognition. The seismologist goes into ChatGPT and is just like, when's the next earthquake going to happen? <laughs> and it goes like, it's going to happen at this date, at this time. Uh, cool. You will die at this date, scientist. <laughs> that is the price you pay for using ChatGPT. But while we are not able to accurately predict when earthquakes will happen, we do know where tectonic plates meet. So we know what areas are vulnerable to fault slips. And we also know that the areas that have a high earthquake risk typically have to be prepared for earthquakes. And this includes having strict construction codes, meaning earthquake-resistant buildings, emergency evacuation plans, disaster assembly areas, and open public spaces where people can gather and be safe. And you used Turkey as an example earlier, and I'll build on that because the recent earthquake has been like a good example of what not to do when you're a high-risk area. So Turkey has two major fault lines, the East Anatolian fault zone and the North Anatolian fault zone. And they're both around a thousand kilometers long, crisscrossing the country and putting it at a heightened seismic risk. And Turkey is no stranger to works. Like the recent one is not, is not the first one that mm. has happened. There were a few major earthquakes that happened in 1999, during which 14,000 people died. And following those earthquakes, a promise was made to institute disaster preparedness at national, regional, and provincial levels. Um, hey, what happened to that? What happened to that? Erdogan. Well, Erdogan was not in power yet. No, but, but like I'm saying that like he's, yeah. he's in power now. He's sort of responsible for the things that happen, even if it's yeah. Right, but um, I mean the the current or the you know the government official at the time even instituted an earthquake tax, which was meant to raise funds. To, to better prepare the country for future earthquakes. But it's more likely that the funds got collected by authorities because like, we didn't really see a lot of changes in earthquake preparedness. Corruption. <laughs> and as you've mentioned, Erdogan's government made the situation much worse. And you've talked about like the construction boom and the poor, um, like the lack of regulatory oversight, oversight mm. in the construction. But... In addition to building these poorly constructed buildings, the construction boom also led to increased urban density, which makes, which can really cause a lot more casualties in the case of an earthquake. Erdogan also replaced key actors in disaster management positions with loyalists lacking the necessary background, therefore weakening these key institutions. 
Also, since the 2016 coup, the Turkish military has also been weakened, and Erdogan's government dissolved the protocol which would have enabled the armed forces to respond to disasters, which has led to the dispatch um, to the areas affected by the earthquake being slow and inefficient. That seems like a weird thing to do after a coup attempt. Like, I, I get that you would probably have the to... military? No, like, remove their ability to help in disasters. Like, obviously, weakening the military makes perfect sense, right? Mm -hmm. If the military tries to take power in a country, then you're like, okay, well, then the, maybe the military should be a bit weaker. Like, I get that part, like, making it more subservient to a civilian government. I get it. Coup attempts by the military, not great. But what, why can't they help in disasters? So like, I what, think, how does that... I think the, the, so the protocol indicated that they can dispatch to the area without waiting for... Um, like order mm. or like orders so they would just like they can do it like on their dispatch. own yeah um, but now this like this process has become like slower so it's under more like centralized control mm. um, I see but so earthquake preparedness went out the window by having poorly constructed buildings rushing urban development uh, gutting civil organizations and replacing emergency preparedness experts with loyalists without the appropriate background so all of this has created the perfect storm um, especially for an area that is very very vulnerable to earthquakes yeah. and this is like like you said earlier like you can be in an area that has this risk but so much of it can be prevented mm. if you have like the proper like regulatory oversight and preparedness. The proper yeah. pre preparedness. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about like how to prepare for earthquakes and like new building designs and, and things like that. I, I want to have a little bit of a discussion about like sort of like new tech. Like a new technology, like what's what's up and coming in earthquake prevention. We, we love uh, ending the episode with... Uh, <laughs> A glimpse into the future, <laughs> or like things like you know things that are things that are just new or fresh and nice. We mm -hmm. like we we try to leave on a positive note mm -hmm. uh, at all times. I think it's worth mentioning that like you can't ever make a building earthquake proof. Like nature is a powerful beast that is more powerful than any human being and or anything that we try to build on it. So you, we can't make we can't ever make anything hundred percent secure, but you can always mitigate risk. You've already talked about sort of like structural skeletons and things like that. And I think that's really cool. I want to talk a bit more about sort of like the things that they show on Discovery Channel. Mm -hmm. Like the things that like are a bit more flashy, more expensive, maybe less efficient, but look cool. Mm -hmm. So one thing I want to quickly talk about is the idea of building a flexible foundation. So typically when you build a building foundation, you just like you, you drill down a bunch of holes, fill it up with uh, like steel things so that go deep down so that the building is has like a deep foundation and is solidly connected to the ground that it's part of um but what you can do is like on top of the foundation you can just have gigantic springs like huge like <laughs> literally huge springs Bouncy house. and then you have another like concrete thing on top of that so that when the earth shakes the springs absorb it and the building itself doesn't sort of like absorb as much of that or or if it does, it starts swaying rather than sort of shaking, which is a lot easier at like reducing uh, cracking in term uh, in the actual construction material, uh, which I think was really really cool. So that acts as a sort of like shock absorber that makes so the building sways. But then you have a problem of the building swaying. 
you don't want the building to sort of like lean too much on one end, right? Because then the, the weight shifts around, the, the, the center of gravity shifts around. Also not, not great for a building to... It can collapse in different ways, but they have a way to deal with this too. Can I say one thing? Yeah. I am sure this is not how they build it, but when you say building on springs, all I can think about is like one of those... Um, clowns on springs that like comes out of a box when you open the box. Like like the loopy spring? Yeah, exactly. It is a loopy spring though. But yeah, but it's, they, they don't put it like right under the house. No, they do. Like they, it's not like a Boeing. No, it is. <laughs> Just a ginormous I, spring. I, but it is. I need to see this. I'm like, because like, I know it sounds really silly, but that's literally how they look like. They're just boing, gigantic boing, boing, boing springs. But like, it's it's a good shape for absorbing so a lot of things. If enough people like sit on the roof and jump up and down, the building would just go like this up and down. Yeah, like a like a tiny bit. I mean, there are different there there are shock absorbers um, in addition huge... to this, so it won't actually like go into the spring very much. It's just going to be absorbed by like the gigantic building you're part of. Um, but in theory, yeah, sure. If you bounce a giant lead spire. On top of the building. <laughs> but he, this is where we're getting to. It's funny that you mentioned that because uh, when a, when an earthquake happens or when something happens to move a building around, even strong wind sometimes can do this, the building will sway a little bit. You don't want that. That's bad for the building. One, and one way to mitigate that is at the top of the building, you can have a counterweight shock absorber. And this takes the form of a giant heavy pendulum weight at the top of skyscrapers. So at the top of a lot of like big sky, sky, skyscrapers, like in like in South Korea and Japan and like uh, New York and stuff like that, at the top of them, they'll just have like this, this sphere with a bunch of cables connected to it. So that when the building moves to the, to the left, for example, the pendulum oh. moves to the right. Uh, and it has like space inside the skyscraper to like move around a little bit. This keeps the center of gravity straight down the middle That's at all times. So interesting and creative. So even if the building like shifts due to like a storm or earthquake or anything, the the center of gravity hasn't shifted. So because that's the thing that I like, can bring a building down. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's real cool. I know, right? <laughs> and that has it has a bunch of like cables and pulleys that like move the thing back and forth. But this thing is this giant weight is is just there to just keep the building like straight and parallel with the springs at the bottom. Hmm. I just wanted to mention that because I think that that's really cool. You all you already mentioned like new construction techniques a little bit. I just want to like build on that with construction material because like hmm. everyone hates brick. Brick looks nice. Brick sucks. Bricks, bricks crack under any type of pressure. It doesn't sway. It doesn't move. It doesn't absorb anything. If, if a brick absorbs anything, it breaks and destroys and is gone. Looks nice, but it's a trash material. You want to build buildings out of steel or wood because wood can wood can bend quite significantly without breaking, which is good if you want to evacuate a building. Or if in more probably modern examples, you want to build out things out of steel. Because steel can actually bend quite significantly before breaking. So if if a building is being deformed, you can still get out in, in many cases. Like the, the, the building is not going to be safe to live in, right? Because it's going to be like the the... the, the the, the walls are going to be deformed, the, the steel skeleton is going to be weird and distorted, but you can get out of it. Like, it hasn't collapsed it, entirely, okay, and that's so, the thing. That's, so, do, do you mean, like, build, build 
whole building out of steel or wood? No, the like that that not uh, like yeah, the 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 things that support the weight. So either the, oh, the so, so the like the, okay. the skeletons thing that you mentioned before, right? Um, yeah, uh, surely not out of wood. There are some times actually, like not not it's not super common, but there are some buildings that the the the, the central steel skeleton steel skeleton is built out of steel, but then there are other sort of like as, uh, aspects of the building that are, that are built out of wood, more external parts. Hmm. It's not super common, but it it has been done. I mean, it also burns really easily, right? So if there's an explosion, <laughs> it wouldn't really. Yeah, but they're not really building these things to be explosion proof. No. Or plane. You gotta choose one: explosion proof or earthquake proof. You can't have both. <laughs> I think they usually pick earthquake proof because it's like. But in, like we're talking about like in small buildings here, sort mm -hmm. of like three story buildings. You don't necessarily need a sort of. In a two to three story building, you don't really need like a steel skeleton to uphold it. That's going to be too expensive for the kind of thing you're going to get out of it. But having wooden supports is a thing that worked there. Hmm. Interesting. Mm. I don't really think much about engineering. It's really fun. You should listen to Well, There's Your Problem podcast. It's a good podcast about engineering disasters with slides. With slides. Love slides. <laughs> they have nice slides. So... I just wanted to 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 mention that because if if uh, brick might be your construction material of choice if you're a corrupt bastard, <laughs> so don't be a corrupt bastard. And that is our that's our episode on building collapses. Um, how yeah. do you feel? It's fun. It's a bit different than our usual things because it's not yeah. like a disease. It's a sort no. of like phenomenon. But I, I think it's interesting to do like. To do something a little different once yeah. in a while. I also greatly enjoyed not having to be the first one to start the episode. Like, you did the overview this time. Mm. I thought that was great. Um, also, now I am looking at the walls of the house. I'm like, how are you built? <laughs> when I moved into my last what's, apartment... What's keeping you upright? When I moved into my last apartment, I was the first person who moved in there after they built the building and every every now and then every few months like building inspectors would come and like oh. inspect because like the building needs to settle after they build it and they found hella cracks um because they do that they just find cracks like in the corners of the, of the walls and everything because everything like, settles in a slightly weirder way and then they come in and they just like do some like glue in the corner paint it over and they're done it's really weird how that's the solution to finding cracks in your building you paint but over it it's paint over it but a lot of the time that's fine because, like, as long as it's not a support, like, structural thing, it's fine. Um, my parents had a flood in their apartment once. And they sent me pictures of it. And the walls were a little bit, like, crooked mm, after. Because they swell. But they, I don't know. It wasn't about swelling. Like, the ceiling looked a little off. Uh, uh. Yeah, I know. I was like... Hmm. See, that's not good. I don't, I don't you don't know. want Maybe that. Maybe you should move. Um, <laughs> maybe you should get a building inspector. But speaking of which, I think our next one, or maybe not the next next one, but we should make an episode on like um, floodings. That could be fun. And maybe um, in our disaster uh, series, we're starting a new series. We have a new series. It's about natural disasters. <laughs> we have so many series. We have so many fucking series. We got. I don't even remember. Narcotics. Got, yeah. We got STIs. Have we done any STIs? Yeah, we did uh, syphilis. We did, I think. I think we've only done syphilis. No, we've done. Then we did gonorrhea. I don't think we've done gonorrhea. HIV. No. We haven't done HIV either. But maybe next one. Monkeypox. We monkey did. Po 
Yeah. Anyway, maybe the next one should be on an STI. But anyway, we should do a natural disaster one. Um, this was a fun episode. Like and subscribe. Hit the bell. That's not doesn't exist here. But like, leave a review on Spotify, on iTunes. Tell tell your mom um, to uh, hire a building inspector to inspect your house. And we will see you all next time. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>